0: Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon to be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. Welcome to episode 11 of the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I am joined today by David Sanchez. David is an ER nurse and the founder of two companies, Digitalis Medical, a growth agency that helps healthcare organizations be found everywhere online, and Life Transformation Recovery, a nonprofit addiction treatment center. You can learn more about his work and connect with him on LinkedIn. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So tell everybody, because I always love starting at the beginning, um, what made you decide to become a nurse?
1: Well, first of all, I just wanted to help people. You know, my mom said that I, I should have been a nurse from the beginning because my dad had cancer, his stage four, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was born. Wow. And so I was, I was born in the hospital, of course, but I stayed in the hospital for the first couple of months of my life, just because, uh, the nurses all wanted to hang out with me and. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to hold me because I was a newborn baby and my mom was visiting my dad he yeah. was in the hospital at the time. And, and I, I just, I love helping people. I like, that's what I love to do. And basically I wanted to have a career that was flexible, had that paid well uh, and a uh, huge demand. So that way I knew, and also had, uh, so that way, wherever I would go, whatever I would do, I knew that I would have a job and be able to pay my bills
0: yeah, you're so right in that. And especially during, during these times of the pandemic, mm-hmm. I've had friends reach out to me. I think nursing is what I want to do. And I'm like, great. Like, you're never going to not have a job, you know, doing whatever, really. You can you can be yeah. so flexible in your career as a nurse where that kind of parallels what people think of nursing. And oftentimes think, you know, well, why didn't you become a doctor? And it's kind of like, well, I kind of like a more flexible schedule and not, not have to show up every day for 16 hour days and, and really like, you know, sweat a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Now you are an educated nurse of an associate of applied science, which I've talked to several people on this podcast who started out with their associates Mm -hmm. and many people go and do different things with their nursing careers. Was that what you had always wanted to do was do an associates. Did you want to do a bachelor's? I find this very intriguing just because there's Mm -hmm. so many different options of entrance to nursing.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, I knew I wanted to start out with associates. Uh, actually, I was thinking of be becoming be coming a radiology tech, but then okay. I had a friend who was, who was a nurse. He was an ER nurse. And he said, well, why don't you just check out nursing? And that just happened to be what was available uh, at the local community college here in Northern Arizona uh, to Yavapai College. So I just jumped in. I didn't even know what nursing was, really. I just jumped in and, and started my prereqs, ended up graduating with my associates. But then from there, within a couple of years, I started feeling inspired to go to, to do something more to help my patients. And that's really, I I got into business really is what happened. And so I decided not to pursue the bachelor's and who knows, I may do that in the future, but it just seems like it's, it's not a, it doesn't need to be a focus for me because I started uh, getting involved in nonprofit work and, and also business and, and it's a much quicker path than getting more education and in learning more to do a job because you're creating jobs for people.
0: That's so right. And I think that that's so true is that not everybody needs to go forth and do the bachelor of nursing, especially if that doesn't fit the career path that you're following. And it sounds like you kind of were already business minded before going to the, to the business route of nonprofit work. Um, Tell me about what your first nonprofit work was and and why did you, actually just you know decide to go the route of business as opposed to you know being a, a staff nurse for the rest of your life basically.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah well I actually before before I started the nonprofit, I was strongly, strongly considering becoming a CRNA okay. because anesthesia was always really intriguing to me. Um, I worked in an outpatient surgery center, worked in an inpatient psych facility and um, worked in the OR as a circulator. And I loved anesthesia. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the commitments that were required were kind of more along the lines of going to medical school. And yes. I just, I, I wanted more flexibility. And, and so the reason why I ended up going into business and starting the nonprofit was I was working in the emergency department at the time. And I just saw the massive need for people struggling with substance abuse. who would go mm-hmm. there asking for detox or asking for help. And all we would give them is a, either a list of places that would charge an arm and a leg and they couldn't afford it or if they didn't have the right insurance, they couldn't get help. And, and I just really wanted to make more of a difference in my patients' lives long-term because you see this cycle of people coming in and out. So that's that's really why I, I really felt like it was more of a calling to be able to make an impact in people's lives, make a difference beyond um, just someone who's who's giving them a, pre- a prescription or a list of resources. So that's really why I did that.
0: Yeah, and how bold of you to really do that kind of right off the bat from nursing. Um, because I've I've been reading your resume and you've done a lot of emergency department work and I'm really interested to hear what an AVADE safety certification is. It's not something that I see every day in somebody's CV land and a lot of OR experience and a lot of times students seem to think that, you know, the two specialties that they need to go out of nursing school and then become is either a nurse practitioner or a CRNA. And not for the same reasons that you've had of, Hey, I think anesthesia is really cool. Just that, Hey, this can make me a lot of money. And while that is very true, you also bring up a very good point of some of the inflexibilities of CRNA school and also kind of devoting your time by quitting your job, taking on sometimes a mountain of student loan debt. And it's comparable just like you said to medical school. And then at the end of the day, um, doing this career that still does require kind of a nine to five atmosphere that I believe students don't necessarily want and they don't really know about at the beginning of it and then kind of find themselves into this like whole other career that sure they might be happy in it but not necessarily what they've envisioned when they first started it
1: that's true yeah you know in life I've developed kind of a system everybody does this with big decisions but What I like to do is list out the pros and the cons of the different options. Mm. What's going to be required of me? What are the, what are the benefits of it? So it's a cost versus benefit analysis pretty much where you say, okay, how is this going to affect my life into the future? And what's the return on investment? And and I'm not just talking about, uh, financially, I mean with your life because lifestyle is so important. I've got a wife and five kids and congratulations i I love my family thank you (laughs) i love my family and and i want to make sure that that they're taken care of not just financially but also i need to be able to invest in their lives with time and relationship yeah i want to have a social life too i want to actually have friends (laughs) right I going to exist outside of work right yeah exactly and going to church and being involved in my church is important for me too uh i am involved with a with a music band with my church and i started a uh um, uh, safety programs with actually, we were completely prepared through COVID. Um, it wasn't intentional, but when a, a guy actually coded in church once, and so I de- we decided after that, well, we probably should get some, and, and, uh, after two minutes of, C- of doing CPR, he, he did revive and came back to life, <laughs> which was really wow. cool. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. But, um, I wouldn't ask for that. That's for sure. I wouldn't volunteer to be, person doing chefs compressions, you know, when everybody <laughs> wants it at church. But, but anyway, after that, we decided, you know what, we probably should organize this a little more that way we can respond more efficiently. And then we ended up having, being able to do screening during church, uh, or for, before church, uh, after we, we were able to reopen from the, the big quarantine in the early 2020 and, and so we're playing a role in keeping people safe. But I said, when I say that to say this, it's important to me to be able to do things beyond my shift or beyond clocking in and clocking out. I want to be able to to have a life and a quality of life outside of working as a staff nurse. You just
0: said so much in that, I don't know, two-minute time frame. You just said all that stuff in <laughs> that I kind of want to unpack a lot of. There's a lot of discussions around, you know, once a student leaves school, and I have them all the time with my students because I find that it's very important to consider what ROI means to them. And that doesn't necessarily mean financial. Although I do start at the financial components of it because when you graduate, you're gonna have student debt. If you're lucky enough to not have student debt, congratulations. But the other thing that you have to consider of is a lot of times nurses want to go explore the country and can do so in a multitude of ways. But the first job usually has to be a traditional, working in a hospital for a couple of years to get experience to then go travel nurse if that's what you really wanna do. And that's great. I oftentimes challenge my students to think of, well, what's the rent going to be in the area that you're going to live in? If you have to take a job working at a hospital for a couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, what are they paying you? What's the cost of living? Uh, what is the quality of life that you're going to be able to have? Lots of big name hospitals are in gigantic cities and that's fabulous, but is city life going to be for you? And, and it could be right. But you need to think about those things because where I live in Hershey is fabulous for me because I get to go to work and then I get to leave work and see the beauty of nature and just surrounding areas. And there's not that many people and there's not that much traffic. And I love that because I've been through the times of working in an inner city hospital where traffic is crazy. You have to get to work in the middle of a snowstorm and the roads are just not plowed. Right. And these little things, kind of weigh on you after a while and you find yourself stuck and when you say return on investment lifestyle relationships that is so important for students to hear because they might not want to start a family but they might want to have friends they might want to still hang out with people and so. not think about work at the end of the day and yeah. and you know and if they find themselves in an identity of going to church every Sunday or even participating on Zoom church, that is very important to them and they want to have time for that. And you bring up such a great other thing of innovating and offering what you have to your local community, right? Mm -hmm. By doing something you love outside of nursing. And I say that a lot to my nursing students is get involved outside of nursing, be somebody in your community because it's going to save you a lot of mental strain and also a lot of burnout. And that is such the coolest thing to think about is that you've offered, you're you're not the nurse of the church, right? But you've offered something to them in an effort to help prevent the loss of life or to just save somebody that might have a problem in church.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what you're saying there, there's a lot of depth to that. I mean, we could even talk in, for an hour about that, just having quality of life and return on investment outside of nursing. Mm. But, but specifically about community involvement, you know, there's a lot of things that we do in life in you know, eight to 12 hours a day is usually spent at work. That's usually 30, at least 36 hours a week. That's a huge bulk of our time. A good chunk of time is spent sleeping but there is another six to 10 hours outside of that per day. What are we going to spend that time on? You know, the impact of my life, I don't want it to be limited to just just watching Netflix or just spending time with myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, We live in the mountains. It's beautiful. I could be hiking every day for hours or biking every day for hours. And exercise is important, but I want to make an impact in lives. When all is said and done, I really want to make a difference in others' lives. And when it comes to working as a nurse, that does make an impact, of course. But when you've done it for years, there is an element of routine to it where it doesn't feel heroic. It feels routine after a while. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I'm saying is I personally want the impact of my life to go beyond that. That's the point I'm making.
0: That's a great point. I love that. I love, you know, that you're able to kind of disconnect from something that's grabbing you in, such as, you know, just sitting there and watching TV and really just exploring about yourself and allowing yourself to say, you know what, there's more to me that I can offer and I'm going to do that. Yeah. There was a conversation earlier ago that you mentioned about starting your own life transformation recovery. Um, And that's important to me, not only because of nursing students that have a high risk of substance abuse after nursing school if they don't handle their stress well. I've had personal friends that have suffered from substance abuse and have needed help. And there's just times when you see patients and they need help and they know they need help, but there's not so much of services that you can provide. It's kind of like, well, you're knowledgeable about NA and A, right? You can just go to them. And that's kind of what we offer in large organizations because we're not the ones that can help them beyond what they can help themselves. So what was, besides seeing patients in the ED, did you have a personal relationship with starting a recovery center? And what was it like starting this recovery center and what was the process?
1: Oh gosh, it it was about two years of research because I didn't have the connections in the industry that I do now. It took years to really get to know people and, and gather the information. Mainly I started with the local uh, requirements for licensing and the state requirements for licensing. I'm in Arizona. So uh, following the DHS guidelines, finding out what was required. And then it took about a solid six months to write the policies and procedures to get things going and off the ground. That's while I was working as an OR nurse as a circulator. I mean, I had a perfect job for it. It was nine to five Monday through Friday at the time, of course, with mm-hmm. some call like six yeah. to 10 days of call a month. But, um, but it was you know, getting up at five every morning and, and just working on it for a solid couple hours a day till we developed that. And by the end of that, we were a licensed outpatient treatment center. So we had a clinic, we had a house and eventually two houses and um, a full detox program. That was very, very good for alcohol detox, um, opiate detox. It was really cool. It was really cool. It was a long, long process. So um, I'm not sure how far, how deep into that you want me to go, because at the when all said and done, we were up to at the at the highest amount about 25 staff between wow. full time staff and contractors. So,
0: I mean, very as, complicated as, process. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you know, I certainly not that too, like too deep because we could spend goodness, three hours discussing the ins and outs of starting a clinic and yeah,
1: it's complicated. The,
0: the insurance complications and health economics and all that good stuff. Yeah, But it sounds like that this program really fit a need for the community. Mm-hmm. And that alone, I think, lends itself to nurses seeking to fix problems at the end of the day that they don't see solutions for in their own job.
1: Yeah. And that's really what business is all about and serving outside of an employee uh, mm-hmm. role That's what business is. It's serving a community or a group of people in to fulfill a need that's not being met yet or to fulfill a need in a unique way. It could be a product, it could be a service. Obviously healthcare is a form of service. So that's what we were doing. People couldn't find affordable, faith-based addiction treatment. So that's really what we sought to offer and help people with. We wanted people to see lasting results, lasting change outside of the 12-step model. So that's really what we did. Mm -hmm.
0: And why is that different? Can you just go into that a little bit like why is the lasting model that you just proposed different and much more sustainable than the traditional 12-step program?
1: Well, it's kind of it's kind of based on the foundation of the 12-step model before it kind of uh, morphed over time because it originally said that, you know, the, the original 12 steps is about relying on God, but it's a god of your understanding. And in, in in the US, you know, most most people have Believe in God as the Judeo-Christian God, mm-hmm. and so they are. They don't want it to be so vague that it's a God of their own understanding. They want someone to guide them, to be able to learn how to know God and ask God to help them to change. And so that's how we structure it around. And and the whole reason I got into it this way was, you know, first of all, I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. but I have so many friends and family. Uh, even even my dad, he was addicted to heroin and cocaine and alcohol. From mm. the age of fourteen, he grew up in in South Phoenix, very bad neighborhood. Yeah, uh, with a very tough background. But I I never knew that side of him because he'd been he's been clean for over thirty five years now. Before I was born, his life has to- had totally changed, and and I knew that that was that was real because the man that I know he's he's an incredible person. That's not a part of who he is anymore. And so the mantras that I was hearing from the recovery community, even as I was reaching out to people and helping people before I started the nonprofit, the mantras that I hear is once an addict, always an addict or addiction is a disease. But the people that I know personally that have changed through the power of God, addiction is not a disease for them. They had to learn new, new friends. They had to learn new habits, new lifestyles and, and change everything about their life. But that's not who they are anymore. That's not their identity. And so I embrace that. I believe that. And, and that's how we structured our program.
0: That's that's so remarkable. Um, in my own personal kind of me- memories, as you will, of many different colleagues and friends that have gone through traditional 12-step programs and also other kind of recovery programs. And even those that do still identify as a recovering addict that, you know, maybe they still still have that in their identity, maybe not. But I find that there is a commonality between Christianity, God and the healing process that goes beyond what is sometimes discussed and talked about and offered as well, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you need to be a certain person to accept that it doesn't mean that you can't go into a different program because of X, Y, and Z, but it, you know, it certainly is there for you if you need it. And that's a very important message. I think I, you know, to, to tell students about that, if, if they do need help, or if there, if there is a problem with someone in their life that they can receive help in this way.
1: Yeah. And, and I kind of want to add a little caveat there. Go ahead. You know, our approach was a non 12 step and, and totally Christian, but for, for the program, we don't, I never ever wanted to disrespect any other modality or any other approach because the main thing is to find something that fits to be able to help people. And that's not, everybody's comfortable with that. And that's okay. What I wanted to do was create something that will help people who are just open to God helping them because so many people had come into our program after going to eight or 10 or 12 different programs. Hmm. And so you want to find something that's going to work for you and be able to help you to get where you need to be kind and, of like and this, I, and I never that, disrespected people from the AA or 12 step background. We always work together to help yeah. people in our own way.
0: That's 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 so fabulous cuz maybe, you know, NA and AA just didn't work for them for, you know, a number of reasons that we yeah. don't know about, but perhaps they just needed your program or program like yours to kind of like fill that void that mm-hmm. they were experiencing. Exactly. So that's what that kind of sounds like, which is which is awesome. You don't really see that here in Pennsylvania. At least at least not that I'm, you know, privy to or knowledgeable about but there's certainly differences of of programs here as well and I kind of lost my train of thought here because I was going to say so much I do want to mention though that I did find a really interesting article about positive epidemiology and I'm mentioning it because in the article it found that people that attend church people that go to some sort of religious sect weekly, biweekly, monthly have a lower rate of mental illness and depression than those that do not. Wow. And I found that really interesting to to consider what this pandemic has done on people during this stay and I didn't quite understand the full brevity of it at the time when it was happening and why people wanted to open churches so quickly because you know in my mind I'm a nurse and I'm like but we can't because we have a pandemic. But the mental part of it now is so important to help understand and help people get get back on track and i kind of just wanted to bring that up because i felt that this kind of mesh those two things together
1: yeah gosh it's such a huge paradox it really is because people need that to be able to be healthy and i've worked in the emergency department the whole time through the pandemic and gosh the increase uh i i don't know um, I don't know what rates, uh, people are throwing out there as far the researchers, as far as the increase in mental health issues and substance abuse issues, part of it is because people are together more, uh, as far as family members, so they're recognizing issues with each other,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: obviously this stuff has been so exacerbated. It, it is just, it's incomprehensible, really, really the amount of, um, just anguish that people are going through in so many different ways, but having community is incredibly important. And obviously, you know, my church went to Zoom, or, or sorry, not Zoom, it was actually um, a different program, but anyway, same thing, <laughs> same idea. Yeah. And, and video, through video, but anyway, gosh, it was live stream is what it was. <clears throat> but man, that's one thing and that's great, but it's not the same as physically interacting with people. Oh, we're, d- so, we're designed. So we're designed far beyond just the physical body being in people's presence and interacting with them and having a same same spirit or the same heart or the same vision, it, it really does something to reinforce who you are, uh, give you value, uh, strengthen you in what matters to you in life. And, I mean, we could talk about that for a long time, too. <laughs> that
0: That's so true. I, I do want to mention, you know, I am an Episcopal, oh. and I haven't been able to attend church for a very long time, but oh, I God, do... Gosh. I do watch, and, and that's okay with me, but I do watch sermons online mm-hmm. and the church I go to is a very old school brick and mortar church. It's gorgeous. It's, it's cool. Gothic. I love it. I got married there. And the pastor for a while was this pastor that would do these 10 minute sermons and would fill you up with so much of what you needed in those 10 minutes that i was i was like this is exactly what people need like every day almost just this feeling of it's going to be okay here's what is good about your life here's what you can do about your life here's how to go serve the community and you know go out and do that and the second part of of what church could mean to someone at least for me was you know for me church isn't necessarily building right It is community, but it's also going out and serving the people. And so I think for me, it was okay to miss church during this pandemic because I was still serving someone. And I felt that was much more gratifying than perhaps hiding behind a building, not saying that people are high behind it, but going out and doing and serving was for me, very important to do during this pandemic. And one of the reasons why I chose to serve on the special pathogens team like right away, because I felt like, you know, that would would be, my pastor telling me, hey, you, you should go do this. You know, you have the skill set to do this, go, go and make a difference in, in someone's life or try to and see what you can get out of it. And it's been quite a remarkable experience to, to serve a different population. It's been challenging. It's opened my eyes to new and different clinical care experiences, how to do things, how to communicate with people. And I kind of center that back to attending a church, whether that be via Zoom, recordings, whatever that may be, it's, it's just really grounding and and really gratifying at the same time.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, when you're in nursing school, it really is overwhelming the amount of work that you have to do because Mm. many people are also working a job at the same time. And so I never want to give people the impression that they have, that they, that you need to do X amount of volunteer work or whatever. But the main thing is, is that you are serving people in life. Yes. And I do recommend doing that outside of your job because in the long run like i said before the impact that you make on people is not just through your job it's through your whole life
0: yeah that, that that is so important i think to mention to students i think they oftentimes get caught that you know well now i have to do this 3 hour 3 hour excuse me 3 day 12 hour job
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's it that's the limiting part of my career is this th- you know 3 day a week mm-hmm. thing when in reality It can be so much more than that, because I feel like nursing is so expansive in a way that it offers itself, just like what you've done in your church in creating that program, it offers itself ways of helping community members or being the expert some way that you've never thought of, and oftentimes can be the expert in. And even times when you think to yourself, well, I think I really have a good business idea because of that. And here's what I'm gonna do about that. I'm gonna wake up at 5 a.m. I'm gonna I'm going to set my priorities and I'm gonna do these things to be successful. And I think that you've done that so well, not only with your treatment center, but also in the current work that you do as part of your um, other business, D- Digitalis. Sorry, I have a stutter. Um, so what Doesn't was a, like it? <laughs> I worked very hard <laughs> at not having a stutter, but I used to have a really bad stutter back in the day. Um, What was it about Digitalis? Why were you inspired to start it? And where is it headed in in the future?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It kind of evolved uh, with the the nonprofit. Basically, I I had no idea when I started it, but as an addiction treatment center, that's the most competitive healthcare uh, specialty. Wow. Online. As far as uh, marketing and everything, so there's there's thousands of treatment centers across the U.S. Some of them have billions of dollars behind them, and are pouring millions and millions into advertising across the U.S. I had no idea. I was just trying yeah. to help people. <laughs> yeah. But when we got started, I found that out, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, I need to figure out how to do this, and so people can find us, and yeah. we can make a difference and help people." Yeah. We were a, we were a small local program. We we didn't have hundreds of locations, but. I had to learn it. And so I started hiring agencies and started getting a team together. And uh, I fi- end up firing the agencies and just learning it ourselves and putting together a good team. And that's what became the uh, Digitalis Medical, the agency. And so now we serve uh, healthcare facilities. We especially focus on search engine optimization, which mm-hmm. is basically helping facilities be found everywhere online uh, so their patients can find them everywhere. Uh, we also help other agencies that maybe uh, struggle with, with SEO, which is the, Abbreviated version of search engine optimization. It's basically making them rank high on Google, bringing in, bringing in more traffic without ads, just so that they can, they can be seen and found everywhere.
0: Wow. That's kind of really neat. Not just hashtagging, right? Like, yeah,
1: yeah, it's a little different. It's it, social media can be connected to it, but it's more focused on what is necessary to make a, a website really, or a brand visible in all the search engines and everywhere.
0: Once this podcast becomes bigger than what it is, I'm going to use Digitalis to help make it more (laughs) than what it could be, you know, because certainly you could learn all you want about system engine optimization. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just need to let someone else do it. I just recorded a session with another colleague of mine who started her own business based on holistic healthcare. And she's like, you know, she goes, you can, you can, you can learn everything you want to learn but you don't have enough time to. And I was like, you are so right.
1: That is for sure. Time is the biggest resource. Once you get into business, you, you understand that. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, in nursing school, <laughs> I, I had to learn to unperfectionize myself. Oh. I, I, myself. I'm, I'm not a perfectionist anymore. I used to be, but I realized, you know what? I need to just get things done and decide how good is good enough. And I don't need to score 100% in every class or on every test but I need to understand what I need to really know to be able to apply it in real life. In Man, that says
0: a lot too. Goodness. But that
1: applies to life because time really is the greatest resource. Yeah. Gosh, and you can even... only really focus on one or two things a day and, and get those accomplished. And if you do that consistently, you're gonna be accomplishing 30 to 60 things a month. But a lot of times, I mean, with life, there are some really heavy, time-consuming things. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to do five at a time, you will get nothing done or get one half thing done of five different things. i much rather get one thing actually done and completed in a day than try to cram everything and multitask. Man. Wow. Multitasking is a killer.
0: Multitasking is a killer. Some people are super good at it. Some people are just very focused on, okay, I'm gonna focus on one thing at a time and get that accomplished. Everyone's different. Mm -hmm. Unperfecting yourself, that is the line of the day (laughs) (laughs) because how many times, you know, as nursing students and as, and as full, you know, what I consider the lifelong student of nursing is myself anyway, of not getting things right all the time and learning how to fail and learning how to fail early. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good caveat to your two businesses is that not, you didn't fail, right. But you probably have learned some things over the time of creating these two things that says, okay, well, I messed up with this thing, here's how I'm gonna fix it and kind of move forward with it.
1: Yeah, I was just talking to somebody the other day about about business and and everything I've learned just in the last five, six, seven years. And I really feel like I've gained 20 years of experience in the last five years because of all the mistakes that I've made. And you don't have to necessarily learn just from your own mistakes. I would much rather learn from other people's mistakes. (laughs) So that's where meeting people that have been down that path and are further down that road really helps. But gosh, there's there is no substitute for experience in life. And that applies to a lot of different areas. But, you know, you have to decide what margin of error you're willing to live with in life. If I can get twice as much work done. And 95% right, I'd rather do that than get half or a third as much done and a hundred percent. Right.
0: I can imagine that that transpires so well to different practices of nursing too, such as emergency nursing, such as critical care, nursing, probably more emergency nursing than critical care. You have a little bit more time in critical care to do things. Whereas in emergency care, it happens like, like you're a short order chef and that is what you Mm -hmm. do for 12 hours a day. I mean, it's chaos.
1: Yeah. And prioritization is the name of the game.
0: what, What did you say? I'm sorry.
1: Prioritization is the name of the game. Oh,
0: yes. Prioritization. I feel like some people do that really well when, they, when they're when they out of nursing school. And it's probably a, a small percentage of people that prioritize correctly, especially in emergency care. And then other times people just need to kind of take a step back, learn how to prioritize, learn how to really identify critically ill patients, and then move into emergency world to, to be that nurse.
1: Yeah, you know, it took me a really good couple of years, even though I worked in an emergency department within a year out of nursing school, I, I really wasn't ready for it. So I actually ended up going to PCU and doing that for almost two years before going back to the ER. And that was a really good move because I didn't have the basic skills, like having several patients with antibiotics, Q6 hours, mm-hmm. um, take, you know, starting a starting a cartizem drip and then, you know, starting blood all of these different things that are really basic skills but so important to be able to take a step back make sure your meds get done make sure documentation gets done and just create a system where you can get work done in a timely manner and then slowly move forward um that's that's really that's really really important and there's no substitute for time with that Mm-hmm. You know, so many nursing students, especially like let's say they're in their preceptorship or they're deciding what specialty to go to, they're just a lot of times too hard on themselves, and I'm sure I was too. Um, I mean, I'm much more seasoned now. I've been a nurse for it'll be twelve years this year, but you know, uh, don't be so hard on yourself because life is a is a learning process, and every specialty I've worked in about six different specialties, and every single one it takes about roughly six months just to feel competent. And it's okay for it to take that long. That's how we're designed. We're designed to learn little bits and pieces of information, apply them to the holistic understanding of what that is to accomplish that goal and feel comfortable in that role. And then after about a year in that role in that specialty or that uh, department at that facility, then you actually feel confident. So it's okay if it takes a year to feel confident.
0: Yeah. I oftentimes say to my students, you know, give it five years in whatever you're going to do, whether that's bedside nursing, clinic nursing, whatever your first role is going to be. Don't often start in the emergency department um, simply because it's it's generally not recommended in, in, from my perspective. And granted, mm-hmm. go ahead and do it if you'd like to, but you need certain skills, just like you have mentioned, that will help you really feel confident when you have somebody of unknown diagnoses coming through that door and you have to treat them really quickly
1: yeah yeah you're right and you know working the other specialties has really given me a much more in-depth knowledge of of taking care of patients in the emergency department now because the previous knowledge that you have really applies to where you're working now so i worked as a circulator so we did a lot of uh, general surgery orthopedic surgery uh, and i have a much better understanding of like the Organs in the abdominal cavity or, Ooh, or yeah. if someone has had a broken hip in the past, uh, I ask what type of hardware they have or or, or what you know who did it or, or how they how they did it, because I actually understand what to look out for with those patients. And so don't don't ever think that one specialty is greater than another, because we all make a part of the whole. Uh, and and I so totally correct. agree with what you said with the ED is. Uh, I wouldn't recommend going into that right out of school because um, I mean, some people are great for it because they have a strong background in the ED already. That's fine, but Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll be a much, much better nurse. If you, if you get some general nursing experience, general acute care experience first, it's going to really inform and educate you um, on whatever you end up moving forward to in the future. You can't rush your uh, practical, you know, real hands-on learning. You can't you can't rush that too much because there's so much you learn. It really is a journey.
0: Yeah. Really a journey. I, I often say that you need to be able to add value to your patients. So oftentimes you can't do that right out of school, right? And that's the whole case I make when I say give it five years to decide whatever you want to do in nursing. Because if you really want to become a nurse practitioner, CRNA, clinical nurse informatics person you something else right in leadership give it five years to discover not only who you are but the value that you're gonna be able to add to patients because a nurse at five years experience has that much more added value to patient care being a nurse practitioner rather than going right out of school back to school to be that nurse practitioner or or whatever else they want to be
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that
0: so tell me a time or because I'm often interested in hearing about things like this, but when you first start out nursing and you went from progressive care to the ED, how do you manage stress at that level?
1: Are you talking about, uh, in the environment when you're actually making the decisions, or are you talking about outside of your shift?
0: Uh, both actually, that that's a really good counter question. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, for me. You know, I, w- I went to college with some people and, and high school with some people that took pride in not ever studying or not um, not taking notes and stuff like that. But the amount of details that you're keeping track of and things that you're responsible for, there's dozens of things at a time that you're responsible for uh, taking care of a, a group of patients. So don't be ashamed to do whatever it takes to be able to take excellent care of your patients. So you have to develop a system that personally works for you for me it was just a piece of paper uh split into columns each each patient had their own column and i would write you know create my own shorthand of what needs to be done with a circle or a or a checkbox next to it when it's Mm -hmm. done check it when it's done being done and documented check it off there's a to-do i I just gotta write on there real quick and i don't use that as much anymore unless I'm really feeling pressured. And, and I know I, I won't keep, be able to keep track of everything by memory, but but uh, as time goes on, you kind of adjust. But first of all, yeah, handling the pressure, you have to be able to take a step back. You have to be able to keep track of everything that needs to be done. That's first of all, because then you're not overwhelmed. It's all there in your brain, right? Yeah. Uh, and how you do that is is up to you. It doesn't have to be a piece of paper or whatever. Uh, so for me, that's what worked for me, uh, being able to keep track of everything, first of all, Second of all, recognize when you have needs because your own personal needs stack up and that's what, uh, adds to it. Uh, it could be hours before you recognize that you have a headache <laughs> or you have to go to the True. bathroom or you need to eat something. You mean, if it's just a, something small, real quick, uh, you have to be able to recognize your needs to be able to care for others' needs. If you don't do that, you have to make time for it. If you don't do that, then the patients really are going to suffer. So that's what i would do during the shift mm-hmm. and then outside of the shift i had COVID three months ago and since then i've, I've come to understand even more the value of sleep getting oh. enough sleep so you can actually focus you can think straight you have clarity exercise having a social life having a spiritual life everything outside of uh of the actual environment, everything that you do outside of there affects your ability to perform well and and focus and do a great job. So having a healthy, balanced life is incredibly important.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I I know that it's certainly hard in certain areas of having a life outside of work in terms of like the physical outside of work. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, Pennsylvania does not lend itself to be Arizona, right? (laughs) It's not like we can go and explore all the trails and canyons and things like that we only have so many trails and certainly right now we're under, I'm pretty sure still six inches of snow <laughs> on most of our land here. And we're only going to get another foot of snow on Sunday. All <laughs> so, right. right? I, I mean, I'm excited. I bought well, it.
1: Excited for you. I'm just, <laughs> I wouldn't be excited for another foot here, but <laughs> yeah.
0: you're like, Nicole, you can have all the snow. It's yeah. fine. Just keep it there. <laughs> That's fine. I, I, I bought a Jeep two years ago for the, amount of snow that we tend to get at one time on specific days of the year. We, we don't have to like have a snow season where it's kind of like two inches every day, right? But it certainly is, it'll dump a foot of snow, two feet of snow, and then we have to like handle it. Yeah. So so yeah, so I, it, it, it kind of like has to be this, you know, tricky sort of way of how do I get exercise in and how do I handle myself? And how do I kind of learn how to relax myself and not go stir crazy?
1: You're
0: right. So that this pandemic really at least has taught me that it's okay to not exercise for a week. <laughs> and I yeah, say sure. that after after being a highly athletic individual, and I mean that by not like, you know, Olympic style athletics, right? I'm, I'm not training for like high tiered, high level things, but going out for a bike ride, training for a triathlon, things like that. So I was very much used to every day doing something or two things or three things that would help me get better at the event coming up. And once COVID hit, I was like, well, what do I do? You know, and me too. <laughs> right. It was, it was kind of like, well, do I go out and and hike these trails? Cause it was March. So it kind of, wasn't too bad of weather at least. And then, the, and then the summer happened. So it wasn't horrible, but I started doing more things on my own and learning how to have a gym in my basement <laughs> and kind of kind of like trying, trying out and really forgiving myself and not feeling so much blame if I didn't do something that day. I don't know if, if, if that was also your experience of outside work stress and what that was like. But for mm-hmm. me, that, that's kind of like what, what happened. But yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. Definitely. I mean, the main thing is, is finding something that works for you because you have to have balance in life you have to do something outside of work and and you have to find something that fits you and obviously last year took us all by surprise we we <laughs> never we didn't really know what to expect through the whole process with the pandemic but but really i mean life is all about figuring things out and creating solutions so I mean, you're not yeah. limited to to your past experience you can yeah. create you can create a way to better yourself and to and to stay healthy in every area of life
0: yeah going off of that and creating experiences and building relationships. What is it that's one person can do each day to help build more relationships in their own professional life and personal life. Hmm. And I asked that because we met on LinkedIn and I was very fortunate that you were like, Hey, let's have a 15 minute conversation. I was like, great. I love that. (laughs) You know, for other people that might not be it, but you know, you have said before, making relationships was key to helping your businesses thrive and even succeed throughout the years that they've been available. And I'm not sure if it was just you being gutsy and saying, like, I'm going to meet people as they come on LinkedIn. I'm going to connect with people that I find similarities for or whatever it may be. But if there's if there's one thing that you've learned through that process, what would it be to, to share with students?
1: Oh, gosh, there's so much there. For me, I mean, I'm a naturally shy person. I don't know if you, if you could tell or not, but I'm naturally a really shy person. I don't go out of my way to go meet new people naturally. But what I've discovered in life is that a lot of times the things that you are most hesitant to do or tend to procrastinate on are really the things you should be doing mm-hmm. because those are either the best for you or the best for other people. And life is not about what makes me comfortable. It's about what's, uh, It's about making an impact in the world. And if I need to overcome my own fears or shortcomings or or whatever, I just need to do that. It doesn't matter how I feel about it as much as what's, what's the overall benefit to the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. Doing things that make you uncomfortable seem to be the way of making you comfortable more in life.
1: That's true. And then you grow in that area.
0: That is so true. Growth happens only when you're uncomfortable and you, and you think to yourself, well, I know what I need to do. I know, I know I need to email this person, but I'm afraid of what they're going to say to me if I email them. Right. That's a huge thing. I think I go through every day.
1: Yeah. Well, most emails don't get answered anyway, so why not just email right. 10 people and then you'll get something. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Email 10 people, see how it goes, let them answer you back, and you might have 10 new opportunities. You might yeah. have five new opportunities, but you won't know until you don't try something new. Yeah. yeah.
1: And if you turn it into a system that where you're requiring yourself to do that, send 10 emails a day or, or whatever whatever the case is, then it's not it's, it's more mechanical and it's not as emotional of a decision. It's just, this is what I need to do, so I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah, like a sound decision-making of waking up at 5 in the morning to help get your business off the ground and yeah. help to do something, one thing every day to help something else be successful.
1: Yeah, so th- what I try to do is create systems that override my humanity because we, we all have a tendency to second-guess ourselves and, and procrastinate at everything. But when you create a system in life that, where you overcome your humanity, it's just like saving money. or -hmm. or any other good decision where, you know, this is what I need to do. This is what I do. I'm scheduling into my day. This is a priority. So I'm going to make it happen that way. It overcomes your humanity and you're not talking yourself out of good (laughs) decision-making.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And going back to your point, I didn't really know that you were very shy, but I, but I, I had found your your approach to just be very relaxed and calming actually. And for me, that was kind of like, it it was new, right? You, You didn't rush into a conversation is very welcoming when we had our first LinkedIn conversation. And I'm wondering, you know, you know so much about yourself and did you do anything to kind of identify those things in you?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, marriage is a big one there.
0: <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Marriage
1: is a, oh man, you, you don't know anything about yourself to get married. But uh, <laughs> that's one thing. Uh, personal growth. I read a lot of personal growth books. Uh, I pray every day, I ask God to help me with, you know, areas that I might be struggling at within myself. Uh, I read the Bible because that's, you know, the depths of the human heart are um, really revealed there. Uh, Gosh, there's so much to it. I have a pastor that I talk to uh, from time to time. I have friends. And then also I really listen to what's going on. I pay attention to the the tension in life, in relationships, Mm -hmm. uh, with colleagues at work with patients, coworkers, workers uh, because there, there's clues everywhere that you go with areas that you can improve in. And if you're humble enough to admit that you need to keep growing, then you will keep growing.
0: That is so important to listen to areas of growth. I had a comment yesterday made that, you know, so I work on a, on a mixed acuity unit with different levels of patients. They can be ICU, they can be a middle care, and they can be a floor. And so often, this is not just one person or, you know, one, one time of my life, I will hear that, well, I've taken care of this select level of patients for X amount of days. I should be able to to switch over to a a new type or an an advanced acute patient care, right? So I should be able to switch from floor to ICU because Mm -hmm. I've done this enough. And, I said to my students who experienced that, I said, if you ever find yourself in a moment like that, you need to check your ego and you need to really tell yourself, I don't know everything because you don't know everything. I'm I'm 11 years into doing what I do and I still don't know everything. Perhaps why I started this podcast to explore the things I don't know. Uh But I find it so important that humbling yourself and not being so, well, I'm the person that needs to fix this, or I'm the person that can only do this, doesn't lend itself to collaboration. It doesn't lend itself to innovation and it doesn't necessarily make you grow as human. It's, it kind of retreats you in a way that prevents you from growth.
1: Yeah. Humility is really important for that. It's, you can't grow unless you realize a need to grow. Yeah. And, and we have a tendency to box ourselves in once we feel we've accomplished something.
0: Yes. And it doesn't have to be growth on on a unit or switching a job. It can be growth in yourself and growth within a new knowledge base. Just like you mentioned- It really is a mindset. Yeah, a, a, a huge mindset of, you know, you yourself moving from circulating nurse and realizing that you've seen abdominal surgeries so often and you've seen these equipment pieces and you know this patient population so well because now you've seen the inner organs of these patients and then growing to move to the ED, but still being humble enough to know- okay, I, I'm learning something new. I still know this subset of patients, but perhaps I can use this knowledge base to serving greater population in the ED that I'm working at now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm sorry, but I actually have a meeting with a client here in a few minutes.
0: Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for joining us because I feel like we could have talked for
1: hours on like so oh, many- Oh gosh, there's so much depth to it. I mean, <laughs> I can always, always come back and we could talk more about something specific. Ah specific, maybe after a few more people get the vaccine, I'm sure things will morph a little bit. Oh, that'd be so great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I look forward to seeing you soon.
1: All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Talk to you soon.